Robinson on. He's and and it's goal of the season, Frank Murphy. Juliano Grazioli. Oh, absolute quality. I'm sure most people would say I was mad. Oh, Ryan Hello and welcome to another episode of the Downhill Second Half Podcast. As ever, joining me, Ian DL, a man who back in the day was a very decent lookalike shout at the player I'm just about to introduce. It's our podcast producer, James Harrison. <laughs> I wonder where you were going with that one. No computer this time. <laughs> Cheers. I think that's a compliment. And alongside... <laughs> yeah, for someone it is. I don't know. Which... <laughs> uh, and, and alongside him, a man more puzzling than the brief Barnet career of one-time French international Amara Simba... It's Mr. Craig Clayton. It's nice to be back. And joining us today, Heed from Glasgow <laughs> via Ipswich. He made an instant impact with two big goals early in his B's career, a mainstay in the side during our first season back in the conference. Performances so committed, it's criminal those chants of his name for Scotland never came to anything. <laughs> Delighted to welcome Stuart Niven onto the show. Hi, gents. Good to see you. Good to be here. Well, I always struggle to follow those intros, and uh, normally get I normally get some sort of computer gag. But uh, apparently, I've got a lookalike today. So um, yeah. normally, what we would do, we would just start by understanding a little bit about your your pre uh, Barnet career. Obviously, you played for Ipswich, made a couple of appearances for them. But obviously, you're from Scotland. Um, how did you end up in Ipswich of all places? And then, how did the move to to Barnet come about? It did started out by George Burley. Uh, George was the Motherwell manager. And I was at the kind of, I never actually signed for Motherwell because my father would not ever let me sign schoolboy forms. He just said, just sit tight and wait, which was a big, a good idea in the grand scheme of things. So I, um, George made me his first signing when he got the Ipswich job after Colchester. So I moved down there, um, just finished school in the June in Scotland and 1st of July off I went to Ipswich at 16 year old. So you made you made a couple of appearances for Ipswich under George Burley, and um, yeah. then later on you then joined Barnet. Um, and so how did that come about that you that you joined Barnet from Ipswich? Um, it was John Still. Um, John, um, he always went and watched a lot of the the reserve games at Ipswich and Norwich, and uh, obviously West Ham and all those kind of clubs in that southeast area. Um, and I think there'd been a few inquiries from him, and there was also one from Bristol City at the same time. George Burley didn't really want me to go. Um, and I just came back from my cruciate injury. And it was kind of, I just felt, if I'm not going to start playing now, when am I going to start playing? It was kind of like, you get to that stage where you're thinking, how many times am I going to be in the 18-man squad at Switch and not be on the bench or not? And, and you kind of just, I think you just get a little bit. And then we were in, but then Ipswich got promoted to the Premier League, which then again makes, uh, the funds are there now to go and bring other players in. So you're starting to flip down further and further down the pecking order. And from that perspective, I think we, it just it, it got to me. Um, and I thought there was the, the opportunities were limited. I still had two years left to my deal up switch as well. But I decided it was time to go and play. And John still um, had been knocking on the door, basically, with it. So I decided I would go and speak to him and Tori Cleanthus. Um and I'm, I'm glad I did. I mean, it was it, I played games and it was it was fun. And the only thing which, in hindsight, was a nightmare because I had just not long back from a cruciate injury. Training on the AstroTurf every day was an absolute nightmare. I mean, that was... You've probably seen the difference between my performances at the start of the, my Barnet career compared to... After about three months, of four months of training that AstroTurf, it was... And it wasn't even the new stuff like Barnet's got now. It was, it was that old sandy stuff uh, at the leisure centre up at... Potters or Potters borrowers that were, that were trained around there, uh, and that uh, <laughs> that was uh, that was the most difficult part of it. Um, it wasn't the, it wasn't the. I mean, John Still was brilliant. I like him. I love him at this day. I think he was an excellent fella. You knew where you stood with him. There was no uh, people in favour and no people out of favour with John. It was just a case of you play well, you play. You don't play well, you don't play. And you think, well, fair, you, you like that. Um, but then obviously we had. Um, two two madmen come in to manage the team to a certain extent. So then, actually, I'll we'll get to those guys in a moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, so we'll get on some of those other characters uh, shortly. I mean, I think there's a lot to be said, actually, to be fair, Stuart, for, you know, the, the stage you're at, obviously, you're in the Premier League to, to take, if you like, that gamble of dropping down the leagues and, and playing at the lower level. I think it's something that maybe you see less now, maybe with the money in the game. A lot of players at that age are quite happy to sort of sit on a, sit on a salary and play in the under-23s league or whatever. So I think yeah, there's credit where it's due for making that move. And obviously it started off brilliantly. Like you said, obviously your debut was as a sub at Plymouth, but um, on your full debut, um, you sort of made the headlines in Barnet anyway, for scoring after 30 seconds or so at Carlisle. Carlisle um, away, yeah. It's, yeah, which obviously for, for a lot of us uh, who wouldn't have been at the game, it was in the days sort of pre, pre-internet pre or, or pre- internet wasn't such yeah, a thing. Yeah. So this name pops up on the, on the CFAX thing, Niven won. <laughs> um, and it's almost a bit of mystery about who this guy is and, and you know, he's, he's coming and scored in his debut. Um, you know, what are your memories of, of that time? And, you know, was it kind of a, a, a dream of start as it looked like from the, the scoring in the first game? To be honest, the goal was more luck than judgment. It was um, it, it was just that I'd managed to arrive in the box and the ball, two people, I think, from what I remember, there was a two people jumped for a header, our striker, and if I can't remember, it was playing up top and their defender. And I it just basically bounced right in front of me and I, and I just whacked it, basically. It was, a, it was one of those ones you weren't expecting that early in the game, but you were just looking to take their centre midfielder back the way so they knew that you was going to do a bit of running today um so it was it, it the stars aligned whatever way you want to call it but yeah it was one of those <laughs> ones it was, it was a fabulous thing to happen especially for um playing first team football um more than it and regardless of what level you're playing first team football it's always a different tempo and um aggression that there was playing reserve team football it, it, i mean the reserve teams you played against some great players, but literally no, there was hardly a tackle in the game, and it was it was very much people trying to get fit or people trying to play well to get into the the first team as opposed to actually fully competitive games at times. But it wasn't it wasn't actually a bad start to the season, despite how things progressed and, and mm-hmm. went, went a bit different. And one of the the standout games from early on in that season um, was was the the Lincoln game where we were three 0 down and turned it around to four three. Now you scored the the goal that got us back into the game just before half-time, yeah. um, which pretty, pretty much kicked us back on to, to go on and win that game. I wonder how much of that you remember looking back now. Um, I think you, you always remember bits of every game. You can go back to a game, there's always something you can remember about it. I remember, I mean, we were 3-0 down really early as well, weren't we? I mean, it was, yeah, we yeah. were all, I remember, we, I can't remember, I think we got the ground slightly late that game. I just remember it being really, um, can I just, we were really rushed to get preparation-wise. Um, and and then with, with, I think, I can't even remember, it must have been within 20 minutes or something, we were three goals down and it was like, Jesus. Um, but again, I, I mean, I still can't actually believe that we went down that season. Because were, were we not in the top six at Christmas? Pretty close much. Close enough, yeah. yeah. When Tony Cotty came in, and, we, and obviously we'll get to that in a minute, I think we were seventh or something like that. And doing all right, actually, not doing too well. Yeah. I think we were, and I think our home record was pretty good as well. I think we were, and, and I, I remember us talking actually about getting, being in the, the kind of top six. That was the kind of target and how we were feeling about things. And we had some right good players and and, and, and Darren Curry and, and um, John Doolan and, and Mark Gower came in and, and um, we had Danny Nisbet or um, Big Lee, the goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah we had, so we, we, had, we were quite a... We were we were shocked. I think Mark Arbor was a fabulous footballer as well, and Greg Hield. And, and we, I don't know. I think it was there was a lot of changes made when they didn't have to be. Possibly, um, I mean, I I don't really know the ins and outs of why John went upstairs, kind of idea, and, and Tony came in, and uh, given that you were sitting in a position where you were quite comfortable within the league, and if anything, looking up. But it wasn't, I mean, we, we've talked to others about it and it wasn't, or it never was uncommon for John Still teams to start quite strongly in seasons anyway. And it often was um, maybe just as you go past Christmas when, well, two things really. One, teams are starting to figure out the way you play. John was very much a plan A rather than a plan A, B and C kind of guy. Um, yeah. but, but I guess, um, you you know, hugely, a lot of the teams are hugely fit, hugely organised in that first few months. Maybe things like, the, the AstroTurf and stuff maybe played its part on people's legs as the season went on. I don't know if that changes things. It certainly doesn't help. I mean, I, it's different. Um, bearing in mind, you had, there was no masseurs. You had one physio and it was, and you had, and there was quite a lot, a lot of players who had kind of moved down from, like Mark Gower from Spurs, who'd had injuries, Mark Arbor moving down and, and Darren Curry and people like that who had, who, who carried niggles quite often and, 
training on that astroturf certainly didn't help any of us. Um, and 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 what got even more complicated, what in my opinion was that as soon as we started losing a few games, I mean the first game under Tony Cotty, we won seven nil Blackpool or something. No, that's it, yeah. yeah. And but that was the first time I mean I remember going into the changing room after that game and everybody was buzzing and we were all happy. And Tony Cotty turned around as a go at me for not passing him one, one. I think I took one shot that game, and he said he was in a better position. And it was I, I felt like that was his character in total. It was all about me. Um, he was in then when he started going downhill, they started putting uh, afternoon training sessions in. So you're now doing a double session on AstroTurf, and and it was as if no one was thinking about anything other than um, work harder, work harder, as opposed to. Was it actually the hard? Was was it the problem we weren't working hard enough? Maybe it was, it was other things. But I don't think at that time there was too many people looking into it and other other options or what would have been better for certain players or was was a gym session be better on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or Thursday after a game midweek inside rather than training on the Thursday morning after playing the Wednesday night and bashing yourself in the astroturf again and my knee was up like a like a. Christmas pudding, basically. It was food, and it was, and I was. I just used to. I mean, myself, Danny Nesbitt, and John Doolan all lived together, um, which again probably wasn't a good thing either. But um, <laughs> it was. Uh, it, but I mean, I just remember going back home. John was a trained chef, so John would do the cooking, and I would just sit in the sofa with my, my bag of ice on mini, basically for two hours after training, uh, just so you could train the next day. Yeah, so, no, funny games that a bit. Yeah, no, we've had, we've had Danny Nays, but on, and we've heard a few bits about that, so we've got a few questions around around you know, the living situation to come. But uh, just to sort of stay with the football for a moment, obviously you mentioned yeah. your sort of, I suppose, first incident with Tony Cotty in the change room. Um, you know, we've alluded to the fact you've dropped down the leagues to come to Barnet, but before you know, when that appointment's announced, the whole world of football's sort of raised their eyebrows a little bit at Tony Cotty turning up at Barnet. For you, what was that? I suppose what was the initial feeling of you know this? You know, a bit of a I, I only I only knew him as a as a fantastic goal scorer at Everton and West Ham. Um, yeah, I actually thought we would get on better because Paul Goddard had been my youth team manager at Switch. Obviously, another one who was a West Ham legend, and and I just presumed that he would be like Sarge, uh, Paul Goddard, as we called him, Sarge. Um, I just assumed he was going to be like him, and in actual fact, he was a totally different character. And and I, I think there was a few. Um, people who, I mean, him and people like Darren Curry and uh, Warren Goodwin, and, and uh, they they got on great with them. Whereas myself, John Doolan, um, even Greg Hill to a certain extent didn't quite so much. And I think it was potentially clash of a number of things. Which, and by the way, everybody's got an ego in that changing room, regardless and whatever. Um, and I think it was it was just certainly from my point of view, we just didn't see eye to eye in a lot of things, which was unfortunate because in actual fact, when that, after that first game against Blackpool, I would have expected him to come in. Everybody was saying, well done, great stuff. Have a cool down and um, we'll see you Monday morning. But just when you start kind of after a couple of games, I could just think, I just did that feeling where he, he didn't trust me, um, which... Again, that could have been my own ego that was thinking that, or do you start overthinking things after a comment? Or and it, but there was more and more of those little kind of comments that you, you just, um, they just kind of, I just didn't click with the guy, and and that's by the way, he might be a lovely fella, and, and um, I hope he is, but um, just from mine and his perspective, we were, um, let's call probably both headstrong. <laughs> we've um, we, we've been fortunate enough to talk to quite a few of the names of players that are in that squad. We've actually spoken to Tony Cotty as well on the podcast, so we've got a different point of view across all the ways. And I think a lot of the guys that you mentioned there were had been at Barnet for two, three, four years prior to that, and they'd become very used to a certain way of doing things under John Still. There was the, just basically the John Still way or nothing, as as Craig alluded to. Yeah. yeah. Um, for you, though, you'd only been at the club for six weeks. So what did you notice, I guess, as an, I suppose, as an outsider um, between the relationship between the players, between John Still and Tony Cotty, and then you as a new player trying to get used to a completely new system? Yeah, um, uh, I mean, all the way through. We couldn't have been any different from being at Ipswich to being under John Still in the grand scheme of things. I mean, it was two separate, different types. But I think John still brought myself, Mark Gower in because he was looking at changing the way he played. Because there was no point signing me and Mark Gower and then kicking the ball forward long. 
it was that was that would have been a waste of time. And I think it was um, I got the impression I was coming into play because John wanted to change slightly. Yeah, he would still have the big man up top. We'd still clear the lines. We but we would try. We were going to try and play a little bit more. And and I think we, as we started well in the season again. And, and it was it, it was kind of there was no kind of explanation of why John went really. I mean, it was just that Tony Cotty was coming in. And I can't remember who his assistant manager was, but he was a pain in the arse. He really yeah, was. Steve I mean, Wicks. Oh, man. He's another one who was chocolate. He ate himself as well. Um, <laughs> it, it, it just that, that whole dynamic of those two, for me, I think it, it, it just didn't work because they were so alike. Whereas we, we um, Tom and John, you had a... They, they were different personalities. They were, they were both... Um, but they were both honest and straightforward and there was no there was no team meetings without everybody in it and it was we, we knew you knew where you stood in it and you knew what they were after and if you didn't do it then you got a, you got a, a bollocking but otherwise you, it, it was the training was structured along the way that we played on a Saturday um, and then when Tony came in it's usually I think there was a lot of people stuck in their ways when I say don't mean that in the players they knew what they'd been doing for so long that um, probably a slightly more gradual uh, approach would have been a better uh, example for him. But I think he's seen us play against Blackpool in that first game and thought we were Barcelona because he thought we were going to play like that every week. But that was just one of those great performances that happened. You have no idea how it's happened sometimes, but equally it's it's one of those ones that happens. And I think we've potentially tried to change things too many things too soon. Um, And then as, as, as Tony got further in, and I think he became a bit more erratic uh, with some of the things that we were doing and, and how we were playing when, as we started slipping down the league. Um, and probably when you're a little bit getting desperate as a manager, then you, I mean, I think there was a, there was two or three weeks where I wasn't even in the squad. Um, I think it was a couple of weeks after the Blackpool game. Um, they just told me to go and have the weekend off. And I'm like, all right, okay. I remember driving up to Newcastle to see to go out night out with my friends from Glasgow. Um, but it was it was it was just a it was a wee bit of a strange time in my opinion. Then well, it's a really odd one because when we when we first well got in touch and you said you said you'd come on very kindly, um, I started thinking about when you played at Barnet, and I always think of you as a player that liked to play rather than maybe what we might think of a, a real classic John Still type centre midfielder. But then when I, when you think back again and you think well John Doolan, uh, Mark Gower. Uh, Danny Brown, you all all people that like to play and, and as little, you said, Le- little Leon Bell as well. Leon was an Bell. excellent footballer and, and, and then you had Darren Curry on one side, you had um what do you call the boy with the floppy blue brown hair? Used to play a winger. Fraser. Fraser Thomas. Oh yeah, big Fraser as well. Another one who was at was who, who had great pace and could get at people, deliver the ball and um I, you kind of look at that team and you think to yourself, where's your Where's your your combative midfielders in that team? It's not. I mean, John Doolan likes to tackle. I don't mind. I never mind one. But really, um, we weren't really set up to play that way. And that was the impression I got when I signed was that we were. It was going to be a, a kind of a newer way that he wanted to try and play. Would still get the ball into wide areas, get it in the box. Brilliant. He scored more goals by crosses than anything else. So um, that was ideal. And, it, and when we spoke myself, when I spoke to John about. Signing it was we spoke about Mark Gower, who I knew from playing against him with Tottenham, etc. As youth team and um, reserve players, and it just it just felt like it was going the right way under John, and we were quite performing quite well. And then there was this change, and then there was a couple of half decent performances, and then it just fell off a cliff. Yeah, no, it's it's really odd, and you would have thought that players like yourself, um, especially having played. A club that was certainly a lot higher and had a couple of games there would have been a much more natural fit for a manager that had, had only really experienced that level, as opposed to John Still, who's a traditionally a lower league guy. But it, you know, yeah. But then again, Tony wanted the ball. Being a striker, Tony wanted the ball into the striker's feet very quickly, which then bypasses your midfield, <laughs> who potentially say that our midfield was one of the stronger ones in the division with with Darren and John Dillon and, and, and Mark and, and Danny Brown. And, and so we, by, we almost bypassed the midfield. I mean, bear in mind, Tony's first game against Blackpool, he hadn't done anything. I think John picked the team. So um, he, he was basically just, he was two days in the door or something like that when that game came about, from, from my recollection. 
uh, is right. But um, yeah, it was very much geared to getting it into the strikers because Tony wanted to still play and work off second balls and score goals. And it was, and then so we as midfielders kind of we kind of got bypassed. It was out of the fullback into the strikers as quickly as possible and try and get Tony a chance. So um, <laughs> I'm only joking that it wasn't that bad. But uh, yeah, it was it was very much of that. We kind of just got a way of playing which seemed to be working, and then it changed again and 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 then you you wonder why someone like myself or, or Mark Gower or, or um, has a bad game, John has a bad game because you're never touching the ball and you were brought in to get a hold of the football. So it was kind of it was a it was a kind of strange time. It really was that that Tony Cotty year was a real, real strange time for me. I don't know how long he was in charge. How long was he actually there? Wait, three or four months, I think. Four months. Ah, it was, yeah, it four seemed, months. seemed a hell of a lot longer, gents. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we could talk a little bit about the off the pitch. I think you mentioned that you live with John Doolan and Danny Naisbitt, so I guess you were friends with them. But what was um, what was your relationship like with the rest of the team? Obviously, you've already given another glowing review to the first field centre. I understand talking from Danny Naisbitt that Stratford Arms opposite was quite a regular haunt of everybody. But uh, I wonder what it was like um, around the yeah. squad at the time. No, I think there was there was. I would say there was probably it got it wasn't like that when I first got there, but it got to the stage where there was almost two different cliques in the team. In the squad, you had Darren and, and um Warren, Sam, uh the fullback. Dockley, yeah. Dockley, yeah, and a couple of others. And then you then it was it tended to be John, myself, Danny, uh, Greg Heald, uh Brown, Danny Brown, um Wayne Posser, and people like that were who were kind of friendlier. You would notice that when you went on team nights out and stuff as well, but not that we never got on. There was no, we were just kind of different people, and I think a lot of that was to do with the northern southern thing, partly as well. But um, but yeah, I, I never ever remember any major problems in the changing room. It, it was the players tended to get, from my recollection, we tended to all get on pretty well. But yeah, um, that house living in the three of us wasn't a good idea. <laughs> uh, it, it was just more to the fact that you had three young lads with a bit of cash in their pockets and you were 200 miles or 300 miles away from your family all three of us one in Liverpool one in Durham and one in my, my family in Glasgow um, so it was kind of we finished training at 2 o'clock if we'd I wasn't a single I finished training at 12.30 1 o'clock if it was a single session we'd go and have some food in the cafe at the sports centre and then yeah, the rest of the afternoon and unfortunately we were that close to the tube station that we ended up in Leicester Square far too many times and uh, Soho and um, <laughs> everywhere else that there was and then one, I think it was Danny's agent, he, his brother or something owned Sugar Reef and Red Cube so we ended up getting into, we were on the guest list for that every Saturday night and it was, it probably wasn't the most professional of my career I'd ever been at times. Have you got any uh, shareable memories from then or is that stuff that's best left in the past? Uh is Danny still with his missus or not? <laughs> <laughs> oh, went, no, Dan, there, was a, there was a certain uh, dance club, let's call it, uh, that we went to, and um, Danny had a good long relationship with one of the one of the girls from there. Um, and bearing in mind, his room was next door to mine. Uh, it, was, it was some some sleepless nights, let's call it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, sounds like oh, a I mean, fun. don't get me wrong. There was there was some cracking times with them. They're two great lads, and um, and we 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 had some fun. But we, I mean, don't get us wrong. I mean, we we weren't. There was the occasional time where you're a bit hungover for training, but majority of the time it was done on a Saturday and a Sunday, or a, um, it was a Saturday night and a Sunday afternoon or something like that. It was never really a, a going out midweek thing. Um, Unless you're, unless one of us were bombed out the squad totally, then the then the others would rally rally around them, and we'd end up out in the drink. But majority <laughs> of the time we were all right. It's quite interesting because it's all good team played, spirit. I was going to say when we've spoken to players um, that have played in some of the teams that went on to either win leagues or something like that, there was a bit of going out, but it but a lot of it you you can certainly sense a different type of going out when things are going well versus when they're not going well. Yeah. And, um, Everyone speaks about it differently, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe you've experienced that in your career as well. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you tend. I think when you, the things are going well, you tend to have more team nights out. Yeah. Um, whereas when they're not going well, you tend to stick to 
you, you kind of want to get away from the team, if that makes yeah. any sense. Yeah, because you, 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 there's only so many team talks you can listen to when you get when it, when it's not going well and you're hearing the same excuse my language shit over and over again from some people. And it, it was the kind of you, you, you needed a you need to get away from it. And again, that was partly also not a great thing when the three of us are living together, because then you would if you were if it, you'd go back and you'd, you'd talk about it and, and you never ever escaped it. Whereas I had we had families down there or whatever, and you went home and they, they say, how'd they go? And you go, I don't want to talk about it. Let's <laughs> let's let's watch a movie or let's talk about something else. And then I think that Barnet team was very much a, a group of young lads uh, without families, but who weren't not living with our wives or it was there was a lot of us who were um, <laughs> who were probably not mature enough to deal with the when it went bad. But equally, I don't think some of the things that were done by um, aforementioned uh, manager were ideal. But yeah, well, I think you know that 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 season was enough to drive anyone to uh, to a couple of drinks, certainly. And I think going back to the football on the pitch, obviously, as the season went on, I mean, you sort of alluded to this maybe with a few injuries, and, and that might explain a bit more that the fans might have not seen at the time that you were a bit more in and out of the team, and certainly in the run in itself, which obviously we all know how that ended. Um, you know, you quite often didn't play, missed, I think, the last two or three games of that season. Yeah, I mean, I how frustrating was I, it kind of sitting there? Well, I remember... So I thinking, how frustrating was it to kind of watch on with that? I remember more than anything the Torquay... There's a Torquay game the last game of the season. Yeah, I see it. Yeah. And I don't even think I was on the bench. But I remember thinking, because we didn't we go down, Danny, and it was in goals, did we go down 2-0 really early in that game? Yeah. Did I come on that game? In the yeah, end? well, Lee Harrison got injured. Harrison got injured and Naysbitt came on in the first minute for him. Yeah. I can't remember whether I came on or not. I will check, anyway, no, I think I'll check the stats for you. I, I'm not sure whether I was on the bench or not on the bench. I can't remember. I just remember thinking if 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 kind of we needed goals in that game, I'll, I remember the bench being quite, I don't know whether I was going to say defensive-minded, but it wasn't particularly, there wasn't a lot of create, creativity in the, on the bench and, and I, I remember being really frustrated with that one there, um, and then when, but equally as well, you always want to be able to try and do something about it as part of the squad. And, you, and when you can't, when you're just not getting that uh, that opportunity, then it was. Having said that, I, it, I there was quite a, I missed quite a lot of training in that last month of the season just because of my knee, so that might have been a, a, a part of it as well. I think from most we heard of as well from a few. Oh, go on, Ian. Go on, Greg. I was saying, from most of the people we've spoken to, it sounds like the damage really was done a long way before that last game of the season. And actually, yeah, it wasn't a spiral down. And I, I mean, even from people saying that I think there was a PFA night on the, you know, the week before or something. And I think that, um, you know, some people, and there were no names mentioned admittedly, but some people made quite slow returns from that to, to turning up to training midweek at some point. And it sounded like everyone had kind of lost their head a little bit by the time it got to that point. Yeah, kind of was. I mean, I, I didn't go with that one, but uh, it was, uh, it was but that, by that time, I think I was quite um, frustrated personally, but I, I think there was quite a lot of... Um, I mean, the first thing I would have done as a as a coach now, etc. And the first thing I would have done was revert back to what we'd done right at the start of the season. As soon as we started that drop down, we need to say, well, what, what identify, rather than test driving anything else, yeah, at, yeah. The minute, at the minute we need to know what we can do to win. There was, there's no point in, in saying, well, let's try this for four games and then we're even four games even worse off. For me, it would have went back to what John had done at the start of the season. We would have set up, been hard to beat and we were scoring goals, but we eventually got to the stage where we weren't scoring goals and conceding too easy and it was and then but it, it under Tony certainly just seemed to like every time we lost he, he wanted to play another attacking player um, and I was like well I don't think we're going to score away score away out of this guys but um, again that's the manager's decision and it's something you you, you have to respect to a certain extent as much as you don't agree with We all know how the Torquay game ended and we've ended up in the conference um, after 10 years of being in the Football League uh, from your perspective, um, you know you've you've dropped down from Ipswich to to Division Three as it was then. Um, you know, did it feel a little bit like you'd been sold a dream? You, you joined a club that was at the top end of Division Three at the start of the season, then they've ended up being relegated, and then we're turning out against clubs like Lee RMI, Staley Celtic, and stuff like yeah, that. that was and, fun, and, um, 
you know, yeah. it's, it's a bit of a culture shock, I suppose. And, you know, what was that like for you to, to, to have to run out in those games? Well, it was another game of football in the grand scheme of things and I'd made my own choices and um, I expected this to be going the other way, to be perfectly honest. And I think you'll even hear people like if you when you speak if you speak to Mark Gower how much easier it is to play in the championship than it is the third division or whatever it might be called now. And but uh, the higher you went up, the easier it was to play football. It was just that the 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 the, the two defences etc were, were harder to beat. But even so, it was. And I think as soon as we went into that champ that uh, conference, it was there was a lot of players who weren't geared up for that for that football, and hence why we ended up. I mean, it, I mean, I think it got the yeah, it got to the kind of stage where um, you were expected to win, but we never really had a lot. of these never had the tools to be playing at that level. We'd never been brought up that way, as that such. Well, from the, we've spoken to a few people about that tie. I mean, Greg Hill is one of the ones that really sticks out as a guy who had no issue with playing in the conference, as, as in terms of the tier that it was at. But just said that I think off the field, I think it, almost everyone had various different things going on that were making it difficult to be completely focused on football, or at least that was a battle. I guess for you as well, there was a couple of people you've already mentioned as being quite close to that, that would have left in and around that, that time as well. Um, did you, was it, was that a season that when you look back at your career, you, a bit of a nothing season, quite a difficult one for you or just one amongst a, you know, a number of them? I, no, I mean, I, I, I think my time at Barnet was quite difficult in general. And I, no disrespect to Barnet, that was a lot of things to do with, um, moving from a club like Ipswich with a, a beautiful training ground and, and um, sports uh, scientist people and, and all these different things and and then going into a coming into a team which started really well and then John goes and then Tony comes in then does John come back and then Martin Allen comes in if I remember right there's something like that yeah yeah and mm. it, 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 I actually quite like Martin off the pitch, but on the pitch, I mean, I remember we did a, we did a tussle in a, a myself and Martin at a game against Portsmouth, a reserve game when he played for Portsmouth. He had just been coming back for injury and so had I. And I remember absolutely clattering him in the game. And then I, I remember walking in the changing room and uh, when he took over his manager and produced, I just thought, uh, it was kind of one of them. It was like, oh, no. And, and actually, Martin didn't really fancy me as a player, but I mean, he's assistant manager. Who was? He was the other way around. He was the number two, and Peter Shreves was the number one. Oh, but right. I know that Alan did a lot of the coaching. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Peter was sound. I really liked Peter. I got on really well with him, and uh, he he spoke to you away from me. He, he was very much a kind of very much a gentleman, and and but he, he spoke to you and told you things that he's looked and saw, and that he, he thought you could improve on, or things that you need to do more in the game or less in the game, and 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 I felt that we had a good relationship. But Martin was. He was a hundred miles an hour constantly. Uh, again, I'm. I seem to be blaming all the managers and not myself. But uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of he again. It was another one where, and we were into a, a league. That there was a lot of things going on with and within the squads in terms of a bit more bitching, a bit more whining. There was that kind of probably that. There was some people left. There was a growing gap between some of the groups of players. Groups of players. Um, and then you throw Martin in here, who's quite divisive at the best of times. And I don't get it wrong, by the way. I, I, somebody I could sit in a beer with, no bothering me. But he, he was quite divisive himself. He wasn't exactly a bringing the people together kind of manager. He was more of a, uh, let's get everybody going. And, and unfortunately, there was too many kind of bits and pieces between other niggly bits between people, etc. And that. It, again, it, probably John still would have been, could have brought us together quite easily because he was a kind of case of, right, everybody sit down, shut up and listen, and this is what's going to happen. And everybody go, right, okay. And then no one, I don't want to hear any more crying and bitching and whining or anything like that. And and John, would he was he was a good guy to talk to, but he also knew how he knew how to speak to you. Um, but, and again, I think two young managers probably wasn't the best thing as well when we needed to get back up. Um, we probably could have done with someone with a bit more experience, not as a football player, but as a manager and, run, and managing players and managing, more importantly, managing people. Yeah, I mean, it's, in, it's interesting to look back on because obviously the John Still, he, the end of his era was pretty bleak and actually when Alan and Shreves first came in, 
Um, we, I think we were 14th in February and we finished fifth. We, we really ended the season well. That was, I was going to sort of allude to this as well, that you're, yeah. I thought one of your best per- periods of form for the club. That's where the Niven for Scotland chant was loud and proud on the East Terrace. Yeah, it was, um, that, was, I think that was very much to do with Peter Shreve, to be honest. And um, the fact that he was he was very, I suppose to a certain dealing with personalities. So we certain players, like people, uh, players in the squad who loved working under Martin or what loved working under um, Tony. But Peter Shreve, for me, was what I was more used to with Ipswich, with George Burley and Paul Goddard. And um, and, and we had obviously Stuart Houston come in as a, a coach at Ipswich, Ipswich at one point, and then with Brian Hamilton. And they were all of that kind of era. They were all of those kind of bit more softly spoken. They, they actually spoke to you about the game rather than just kind of, I mean, don't get it wrong, they could all go bananas when they wanted to, but... Uh, they, it just it, it probably suited my personality more dealing with him, um, but eventually the, the the trainer on the astroturf took its toll with my knee, and I just I went and seen Tony and just says I, I can't play, I can't do this anymore. Um, it was constant pain, and, and um, I was taking far too much ibuprofen daily. Um, I couldn't have any more injections in the knee because I'd already had my quota for about ten years. Never mind that year, um, and it was a stage where I just thought, well. I have to be playing full time. Was wasn't working for me on under the circumstances that we were training, etc. Well, we kind of looked at that period of time and the amount of games you play, and it, you know, um, even in our own notes, we we put down where you frozen out by Shreves because there is a period of time where that you know the game time certainly goes down. It's a lot quieter. Um, what yeah? What was the kind of story about? Was it was it just the in or you know the knees that was stopping you from being maybe? As no, a, there was there was a certain that the. the Again, I think Martin and, jo- and uh, Peter had different ways I wanted to play. Um, and I, I think I, it, after a couple of uh, an average performance and then maybe a rubbish performance, I think a lot of the time Martin was would be discussing saying, Peter, we need to change this. He was quite that kind of character. Um, and it, it, it actually felt to me that Peter was more coaching than Martin, and Martin was managing. That's all we always felt to me as opposed to Peter being the manager. Um, and you don't, you don't, then you, again, you don't know who's making those decisions. But my relationship with Peter was always good. So whether it was, whether I try to remember back, whether it was the fact that I was training twice a week rather than four days and five days a week, uh, it could have been a number of things. Um, but equally, the less I trained, the less fit I got as well, which didn't help. So you, then you lose your sharpness. And it was, it was just a, a kind of constant recurring cycle by that point. And it was that was a say. That's when I had to say Tony, uh, Tony Cleanthus, Tony, I need to go. I mean, I think I had eighteen months left in my deal or something like that, and we we cut a deal to just cut it in half, and he paid me the half, and off I went. I was going to say, how did that, how did that conversation go? Because we've spoken to a number of people that have had similar kinds kinds of chats with 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 Tony, or you know, others making those kind of decisions at the club, and some of those some of those conversations have been. Good conversations. Some of them have been difficult conversations. I wonder how it was for you when you had. It wasn't. Dif- it wasn't difficult at all. I mean, I think when I signed, I'd I'd kind of said to them, I and mean, I, I didn't bring an agent into the conversation or anything like that. I'd done everything myself. And when I signed, I sat turned around and said, "If this isn't working out, you're not going to be awkward in me getting out my contract, are you?" Because I say we're coming from two different kind of worlds as such at the time. With a team just promoted to the Premier League and one which is sitting in the top of the, th- the League Three or whatever it was called then, and and, no, he, and he was always fine with that. And, and John had said that as well. So when I went in and I, I rang his secretary or whatever it was and said I need to have a chat, and he and he said, "Oh, he's in this afternoon. If you want to come in and see him." And I just walked in. and I said, "Listen, Tony, I've I've, I've enjoyed my time here as much as I possibly could have given the, the circumstance around my knees and whatever." But I said, "I can't train every day. Um, I actually don't think I could train every day now if I was playing training and grass every day." Um, and what I don't want to do is just sit here and take your money for the next 18 months. I said, it's not going to work. I said, so what do we do? And he says, well, what are you proposing? I said, if you give me half, I'll, I'll go. And that gets you half my wages off the bill. And he says, fine. He wrote me a check there and then. Wow. And, and that was it. I cashed the check. And um, I went I, I went up to play up at Cambridge City Um because quite a few of my friends from Ipswich were up there playing and, and um, Neil Midgley shortly followed after that as well. Um, but I went up and played for them. Um, I trained once a week with them and played and played the games and, and I'd done that for 18 months or so. 
Um, the last six months of that, I was actually living up in Durham. So I was getting the train down on a Thursday, training on a Thursday night, uh, playing on the Saturday and get the train back to Durham. And, the, and Cambridge City paid all that, all that for me and enjoy, really enjoyed that time. It was, it was, it was, it was a proper... Nice. There's a proper Barnet contingent at Cambridge City. When you, you, there's no way and no reason why you'd remember this, but um, I've got family in South Wales, and I remember going to watch Newport County versus Cambridge City, and I wore my Barnet shirt. I was a lot younger, and I could get away with that sort of weird behaviour. <laughs> um, I remember you, Lee Pluck, I think was there. Yeah, uh, Lee. A few of you coming over to the, as you were coming off the warm-up, we shook your hand and stuff, and just a, a very confused look on your face, like, what the yeah. fuck is a Barnet <laughs> fan doing Barnet. here? But, yeah, but yeah, it was, it was like half a team was ex-Barnet. Well, Gary Gary Roberts, who was the manager at the time at Cambridge United, was a good friend of mine. Um, we'd known each other since my Ipswich days, so it was him that said, just come up and play here. And then obviously we had, uh, there was a couple of lads, Dave Theobald and John Kennedy, who'd been at Ipswich with us in the youth team, who were playing there as well. And then obviously Neil eventually came up and then you had Lee Puck, I think he was up on loan, wasn't he? Um, and there was a couple of other ones as well. And uh, yeah, there was a, there was certainly that connection with Finn. Like anything, players talk. They say, "Well, you're not getting in there. Why don't you come here and play?" And uh, it was a, it was a good little time in the life. I enjoyed it, but it was it was very much it suited me physically. Yeah, I, I think Ian described a sort of your final day as 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 bleak in terms of the the club at the time. I think it didn't get much more bleak than what was your final game, which was against Tiverton in the FA Cup. as a fourth qualifying round game where we lost two 0 at home, and then there was a a very niche memory of playing away at Potter's Bar in a Hart Senior Cup game, which ended up in a bit of an argument between supporters and players, I think. But, you know, I think you've alluded to it already around, you know, the reason perhaps dropped out of the professional game. Um, you know, when we did our research on this, it, it showed uh, quite a list of clubs. I think you sort of just, we just talked about Cambridge City, but there's a long list of clubs that you and joining um, just to, you know, uh, fit in, I suppose, to your to your fitness and to your yeah. to your life. Because you're you're still, I suppose, 26, 27 years old at this point. Did you know at that point that you know this wasn't going to be forever, and it was it would it would pay yeah, I knew, something I, else. I knew, yeah, I knew. Yeah, I knew. I knew that from six months into my Barnet career. I knew that, and I was just hoping that something would change. I could, I don't know whether I could have another op or whatever it was. To, but I knew at that point there what that. It was a, a limited time which I had left on it, and um, as I say, I went when I went on. Yeah, I, the answer to that question is yes. I knew that it was uh, that the, the full time professional career was done, um, and I'd already started doing qualifications and different things, accountancy and, and solvency and other things as well. So um, I'd started prepping for that. But I thoroughly again we moved we moved back up to the northeast and. Um, been still involved with the Northern League up here, um, uh, coaching at Easington, and um, but played for some good sides. I got the quarterfinals and semi-finals of the FA Vars and um, managed to manage winning the the um, the league and league cup and a number of things for Sheldon and West Auckland and a number of teams as well. So I still kept my hand in with it, but it was it was that that six months a year into Barnet, I knew that that part of the career was done. It's one of those things, I think, when you're you know, a supporter of a club like Barnet, you do always keep an eye out for, for where the players end up and what they end up doing. Similar to you, say, when um, when players play for a club like that, they'll keep an eye out. And we've obviously seen you, you've been involved in some of the management side of things and coaching and whatever else. When you look back at the time at Barnet, I think it was John Still and Tommy Cunningham that would have been the kind of partnership originally. Then you had Steve Wilson, Tony Cotty, and then you had Martin Adam Peter Trees, and that's kind of the three eras. What do you, you know? Is there much you take from maybe it might be things you don't do, but things that you take from those kind of periods that you know build into the, the coach you are now? Well, two things I would say that I took from we had uh, George Burley and uh, Dale Roberts at Ipswich, and you could sit and talk to any of them at any time. Um, same with John and Tom. Uh, Tony, was Tony Cunningham or Tom? Uh, Tommy Cunningham. Oh, Tommy, Tommy, Tommy Cunningham, yeah. 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 Um, John and um, Tommy, again, approachable. Um, you knew what you needed to do under them. Um, there was never any thoughts of... You never ever felt like you were up against them. Whereas um, with Steve and Tony, they were... What I've learned from them is that dealing... Unless you can deal with people, you can't manage. Unless you can actually get people to buy into what you want to do, 
and are willing and make them willing to change what they do currently, or alternatively, why get why keep a player who's not what you want if if it's if you, you kind of try to put. I learned very early in, in management it was that don't try and put square uh, square pegs and round holes, and just because somebody's got a left foot doesn't mean that they're a, they're a flying left wing back, or it doesn't mean that just because somebody's five foot nine it doesn't mean he can't head the ball and defend. Um, it, it plays a centre half. It's just a num- number of things, but primarily it's always been dealing with people and and being able to listen to them and sometimes stop talking yourself. Proper leadership skills, then you know. <laughs> you know, it's quite funny you talk about that because when you, I know it's a completely it's a bit of a tangent, but um, when Gary Neville talks about his time in in Spain when he got the advice from Sir Alex Ferguson, which was get rid of the one, the ones that don't want to be there, get rid of them and get the right people in. That's what you've got to do because you're not going to be able to, to get them to, to play your no. way. It'll only get worse. And it sounds like that, you know, may, you know, if Tony Cotty had come in and had ideas, what he really needed to do was make sure he had the right group of people that were prepared to listen. Totally, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was, yeah. And again, I, but then again, I think you, you, Tony wasn't there a long time and I suppose he had to suss out what he had. Yeah. Um, but, for me, he made a spectacular arse of doing that because he, he never he never actually found out what anyone was like. It yeah, was well, we we spoke to him, and, and one of the things he reflects on is that he turned up. You know, ha, you know, there's no there's no manual on on how to be a football manager day one. You know, it's a, and, and he turned up, and he lots of good intentions, but for whatever reason, he had to learn on the job, and and maybe he didn't feel like he had all the support from the club as well. You know, various things. Everyone's got their reasons in their own version, but. It's certainly that he had to learn on the job and, and and he couldn't do it quick enough perhaps to, to you know... Possibly, yeah. I mean, I, I suppose there'll be a lot of decisions that Tony had to make that he wasn't used to making. But equally, he, he's a person and he knew that he... We've all been taught... Majorities have been taught good uh, morals and manners, etc. by your parents. And, and we've all dealt with people and we've all realised that you, sometimes you need to have a bit of empathy. Sometimes you need to... Um, you need to uh, lay into them a little bit, but everybody's different and... And trying to, if, if Tony, in my opinion, had turned up and tried to take, to tell us what he wanted to do, fine, but also get to know us as people, get to know us as, as uh, not just as footballers and what you can do there, then I think you get a different, you get some, if somebody buys into you and gives you, and, and you get a good, warm, fuzzy feeling about them, you're more than likely to sit there in the training or stand in the training ground and go, right, okay, let's, let's have a go at this, as opposed to, Let's see how many people we can piss off as quickly as we possibly can, and um, and then see, and then say, "Oh, should we in the shit? Let's get can we can we can you try to start trying to win? Not that we're trying to win, but you know, what I mean, you, 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 yeah, there's yeah. only so much that you, it's only so much you probably take as a person in general before you switch off. Yeah, fair enough. I think, um, as I just sort of bring things to a close and bring it back to Barnet. Obviously, uh, tough times with the club at the moment. While we're recording this, I've just checked with two 0 down against Wildstone. Uh, uh, just shows the, the state of affairs. I don't suppose Stuart, you've had any reason to come back down and see the new yeah, facilities was, or anything like that. I was, yeah. I play, actually played a charity five-a-side game for um, one of my companies that um, we played down there a couple of years back uh, on the little AstroTurf pitches outside the ground. And I bumped into Tony as it goes, so we had a chat um, and then we had a function upstairs in, in the, the, the big bark um, function area. So yeah, I've been down. It looks fabulous. Just a pity it's all Astro Turf again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been the one for you. But, but um, <laughs> obviously, obviously it, it, it looks nice. I mean, but it's you know for a lot of our fans, including us three, you know, it's, it's not Underhill, and, and things have certainly changed for that. I mean, in terms of you know you played at a higher level, where does you know for, for you Underhill was that a special place? Do you kind of recognise the character of a stadium when you're playing? Like no, that? Was un- Underhill was classic. And... I mean, get don't get me wrong, I didn't like the slope, but equally you got used to that. But the noise out of the fans was great. I mean, they were always a boisterous bunch. I used to hate that little that little stand at the bottom of the hill with the one that wasn't covered. Um, <laughs> yeah. Is that the way fans we used to put in there? Usually, yeah, that was the yeah. best place. <laughs> but the main stand and the opposite were great. And I used to love some of the banter when you came over to take a corner and stuff like that. And uh, you would get the heat. Um, and, and what? You know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my first six months at Barnet. Um, and felt in a real good place and probably a, a number of things conspired against both me and the club in terms of the way different things are handled and conversations between people plus as we mentioned before my my dodgy knee so um 
but no, I mean, playing at Underhill, the surface at Underhill was always great, or I remember it being really good. Um, I never had a complaint there. I mean, that was one of the reasons when I did sign from Ipswich, I did say I went and seen the pitch before, because I, I thought here hey, the last thing I need after the, my knee injury was to run through mud. Um, actually, I do remember, I remember a game, uh, we were away to Rochdale, and honestly, you, 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 you couldn't see your feet when they hit the floor. They were just sinking right under, and I was thinking, thank Christ, it's our home pitch, isn't like this? Sounds but about no, right for Rochdale, that. Aye, absolutely. And, and then I also remember we went to Shrewsbury and the pitch had been underwater for donkeys as well. Yeah, of course, yeah. Aye, um, there was a guy in a boat outside the, on the other side of the stand yeah, collecting the balls, the wasn't there? <laughs> was, uh, some of them were an eye-opener. Uh, they really were. But don't get me wrong, I mean, I, I've still got plenty of affection for the club. I had, I had a, a, a good time there, despite not having a long, long enough and playing enough games, which was disappointing. But again, We've already spoke about all those kind of different things, but more importantly, the the, the fans were excellent and the people that were great, um, the people around the club were great as well. And, and there's no, I mean, I wouldn't say that I, I made any anything other than the right decision for me at this time in my career to go and play games. And as I say, the first the first spell went pretty well, and then there was a half decent spell later on. And but equally, it was there was a number of factors, but yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed. I, I really did genuinely enjoy my time. Do you still chat no, to the guys? Uh, keep in touch with Neil Medgley. Um, uh, Danny Nesbitt. Yeah. Uh, though Danny's living down there full-time now, isn't he? He's doing his agent stuff. Yeah, that's it. Uh, so I'm living in Durham and he's uh, back down there. So we'll swap <laughs> places, basically. <laughs> oh, well, it's great to hear you talking so fondly about your time at the club, Stuart. And, you know, clearly well remembered by us and many other fans who will enjoy listening to this. So, uh, look, appreciate your time you've given us this afternoon. And uh, no good luck with all. your endeavours inside and outside Cheers. football going forward. Yeah, appreciate it. Cheers, Cheers, guys. Take care of yourselves. I'll take Robinson on. He's oh, And there's goal of the season, Frank Murphy. Giuliano Grazioli. I'm sure most people would say I was mad. It's so, it's so on a bad try and that's a terrific-